We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halame. You've tuned into Lore Keepers, a podcast devoted to chronicling the serialized world building of a sprawling tapestry of interwoven lore. I'm Carter. And I'm Frank. This season, our focus is on gods, fate, and the relationship between mortals and immortals. So sit back, close your eyes, and let our tingling audio gateway sweep you into the realms of Halame. <laughs> Whenever you do the little herald trumpet, it's always just very funny to me. It's is a kind of welcome back. You you won't be listening to this like with any measurable distance between this and the previous episode, having already gone through, I think, like a two week period of silence. Actually, three weeks, I think, because I still haven't edited the episode for this next Tuesday, which means like. Sorry, y'all. Like, yeah, I mean, you'll get it when you get it. It'll probably come out this next Tuesday. I mean, I, I have plans to do it this afternoon. But yeah, uh, no, I mean, this is this is the first episode we're recording after the uh, hiatus. Gosh, what a. Oh, yeah, this week. This is what I'm actually supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be talking about the thing we're actually talking about this week. So you have now heard every episode in this like mini series about the mutes. Kind of. I mean, at least that we've done so far, right? I think there is a uh, uh, an aspect to this where it's, no pun intended, we're sort of like rediscovering or re-examining the mutes and the absentium because they deserve their due. We figured it might be a good exercise to kind of like, let's bring it all together and also kind of bring our minds back into the fold of, of you know, thinking of these things. Uh, if we just sort of do like a summary, but more than just a summary, investigating the dynamics and power flow and interactions between the mutes, what sorts of um, allegiances have been built or enmities been sworn? So yeah, um, just as a as a as a quick recap for both ourselves and also for you, the listener, um, we've got the there's seven mutes, and they are. As follows, we have Kushmund, who is the uh, the mute of failure. Um, I think we kind of played with the idea that they were this ancient cursed entity that had been around for a much longer time than others. And I don't know if I remember what the origins of their failure were specifically, but he was like, there's there. I mean, there was basically like something about the way that he was. I think we can probably get back into that. Um, there's Gogra, who uh, is a fascinating mute. She is the mute of uh, manipulation and subterfuge. She manifests as oftentimes, or chooses to manifest as like lost child or a cursed child who is in need of guidance, counseling, care. In truth, you know, it's like manipulating people. 
Uh, we've got uh, Parati, who is the uh, mute of tyranny or striving. Um, he is sort of the angel, like, you know, the devil that appears in the, as an angel of light. He believes that only he can pull everything back together and truly unite what has been broken since the Ash Curse. We've got Tears, who is the mute of fear, who we haven't talked about formally in a while, um, and it'll be good to, to bring him back into the fold. He's a weirdo. He's a weird fucker. S- spends far more time interacting with aberrations than with fiends of any kind, whether they be demon or devil. Ultimately, it is believed that Tears' ultimate goal is to bring the Nameless One back into reality. Um, thus causing kind of like the end of all things. He's sort of like the servitor of the Nameless One. But it's not even clear necessarily whether his interactions with the Nameless One are known to the Nameless One. We have Lagazoth, who is the mute of corpulence and avarice and dominates a plane of reality which is like a giant uh, steep-sided pit with um, a sort of lowerarchy. Uh, the further down that you get, the more powerful the uh, like the demons are, and basically all of the refuse of the rest of uh, the I, well, not the rest of the realms, but like it's basically just a giant pit where he wants to hoard and collect like all things. You know, he believes that he is the rightful owner of all things. Um, we have Carnus, who is uh, like the the mad. Well, maybe not mad, but like. Or, or, you know, it's like like mad in the same way that like Thanos is the mad titan. He's kind of like this mad champion or gladiator monstrosity who who is just an absolute killing machine uh, uh, oversees a the 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 realm of death and destruction, which I think, oh, we called Kizgore. There's also names for uh, for all of these. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll 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 drop those in as necessary. Uh, and then finally, there is Umak who is the mute of uh, sloth and stagnation. She dominates the realm of anesthes and is kind of like this, almost like an elderly grandma figure who, when you are in anesthes, it is easy to just kind of, you, you, you deal with lethargy. You feel like, you know, you just kind of want to fall to the ground and fall asleep and then, uh, the ground itself will just kind of grow up and over you. And so she sort of just kills or, or consumes or survives through, like, embracing people. So anyways, we got uh, a lot of different pieces to play with. Um, there's all sorts of questions that we could ask, like, what kind of alliances have they made? Um, what is their relationship to the Ethereum? Do they, you know, do they band together? What are their, you know, we know that they have intrinsic and distinct goals from each other. Yeah, what do you think these, uh, you know, yeah, where, where, do we, where do we start with these? Do you, do you have any uh, thoughts of, like, what you'd like to explore first? Yeah, I'd like to explore first what unites them rather than what makes them different. Because I think by going through them individually, as we've done... We, it's very clear what makes them different. They they have their own themes, their own realms. Now, of course, there's some overlap between the ones that are particularly doing the same kind of stuff or doing stuff together. But what 
makes them all mutes. I think the question of what unites them yeah. is most interesting. And it doesn't have to be every single one of them has this feature, or it can just be most. But I, I'm also curious about the features that they all share. Totally. Well, I mean, I think, first of all, they... It is clear to me that I, I think regardless of sort of the revivification that we have had of, you know, kind of investigating them again, taking new examination of who are they really, you know, what are their motivations and things. <clears throat> what hasn't changed is that they are a threat to reality, a threat to the materium. If any single one of them is allowed to, you know, kind of work unhindered they could spell a kind of doom of one way or another for reality. It's not just, you know, Parity who who seeks to, you know, completely rewrite and kind of enslave, maybe even like quite literally enslave all things under his rule, um, or Karnas trying to destroy stuff, but like Umak would destroy stuff. Um, Even like Gogra would warp the fabric of all things so that they were all kind of there to suit and benefit her. So I think that obviously, like, you know, spelling certain doom, that's something, but, like, even other gods do that, right? Like, I think that on some level, there is an understanding that I've kind of always had that the regents only work because there is a sort of balance there, that if any one of them were to dominate, it wouldn't necessarily destroy as much as it would prevent the uh oh what's what would be the word it's like the 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 growing the the like the ability for something to be fostered in people right the whole of reality would look like them and not like the balanced picture that was ostensibly owen's original plan that being said uh i i think that there's more to it than that um, first of all, we have the, the literally their name, right? They are all mutes. That is something that I am curious to see where we land on going forward, because I think that it's still true that they quite literally cannot access magic. I think I don't I don't know. We have talked about the tremendous amount of power that they have. We know that they're powerful. Basically, all I was saying was we know that they're powerful, but we can't just rely on that saying, they're, oh, it's magic, right? Because they don't have access to magic unless we want to change what we define, like, you know, what was the cursing or the like the thing that happened to make them mutes, right? I will say, I think that that's probably, they're unconventional a little bit in the fact that with other evil gods, oftentimes I feel like they're sort of evil whether they're twisted in nature or origin or by choice. But I think this is a little bit different because these mutes, this was something that was done to them. Was it deserved? Yeah, probably. Like maybe even for Gogra, right? Like Gogra is still more of a mystery where we don't really know whether she was the child that was part of, you know, Avon Prima who granted a gift to the nameless one, or there was some other thing, but for whatever reason, she got caught up in this too. And, you know, that's a kind of ancient history. Um, but I would say like, to, yeah, to answer your question, that at minimum is something that unites them. I don't know if that's enough though. Well, this is, I think something we can, we can explore here. So their curse unites them obviously mm-hmm. and i think their curse unites them in a very like strong magical way that like they yeah. are tied to one another and maybe 
their fates are the same. Fates are the same, meaning, uh, do, do you, are you saying that kind of poetically, or do you mean that in a, in a more literal sense? Uh, I, think, I think I mean it in both, in the sense that like their curse is their own, they're all right sharing the same curse, and as such, like they're all doomed, and that's their fate to be in this kind of like cursed state for all eternity. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, I think that like if somehow, I don't even know how it could possibly happen, but if somehow one of them was destroyed, like I don't know what would happen to the rest of them, and I don't imagine it would be good. Like I think their essences are yeah. like, bound together. Hmm. Oh, that's a that's something I'd never even thought about. Like, what would happen if one of the mutes is destroyed? I I like that. First of all, like I th- I like the idea. I, I have never thought about it that way, but like almost like they kind of need each other in this weird way. Like that they need each other. Like if one of them, I love the idea that yeah, that if one of them were to be lost, that it would spell chaos for all others in a in a very undesirable way. So they can't destroy each other fully. I have never, I don't think we've ever even played with that as an idea. Did you just come up with that just now? Just felt right, Frank. It, it feels right to me, too. Fuck, I really like that. Um, do you think it was part of the curse? Do you think it's, it's, I don't think it's just that they're leaning on each other. I think that yeah. there's something like linking them. I think it is part of each curse. other. I think it might have been something that Own did with the curse was like, you know, you all are cursed with this terrible curse, but you will all you will always have each, have each other. That's an interesting idea. Cause I was just thinking about this. Like I, I had never really considered this before, but like it is tricky to think about own as a benevolent figure. I think that that's maybe an incomplete picture. I think own is simply a maker, right? Because the thing is, is that they, when you think about the original plan and, you know, these aspects who are meant to sort of become godlike or whatever, I feel like that is so far. There are there are there are powers and forces who are interested in trying to get that back. Right. But I think that there's maybe another theory that can be posited or sort of another ideology of looking at it where that is no longer something that could truly ever happen because. In that reality, there are no mutes. There are bells that have been rung that can't be unrung, I think. Own, in, in a world where the gods are allowed to, or the, you know, these, the golden ones are allowed to foment into the gods that they're, uh, like, destined to be, there would be no mutes, there would be no nameless one, there would be no, none of this, like, brokenness of reality. But it exists, and now it it is, and I don't know if it will ever not be. But with all of that in mind, I do like the idea that, like, own recognizing that reality had been permanently broken, right? That these solutions of we will cast the nameless one out of reality or whatever permanently left scars on it, knew that there's there's nothing to be done here, and even in a curse of somebody, I will still, like, I'll, like, yeah, engender in them a kind of reliance on each other where they will still have each other. That's interesting. So maybe they were these disparate figures who did. That's really cool. It's like a, 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 like an unasked for alliance where it's like, like it or not, you are now part of each other's lives. You are the only people that, that y- you, you have. 
and it's been a long time since then, right? Like you get to Avum through Avum Secunda, Avum Tertius. I think there's a lot of interesting history in that timeline that we could build of like the back and forth uh, battlements and people, the, the mutes refusing to acknowledge this about themselves or like, you know, maybe there was an early council, but they, I mean, like they barely got through one meeting without trying to like kill each other. When you get to the other side, like they have so built up, they've so built up like embattlements for themselves, uh, you know, structures where it's like, I don't need to rely on other people. But it's like, well, like it or not, you're all part of the same cul-de-sac. <laughs> you are your neighbors. It's true. So, yeah. Anyways, I'll try not to, I'll try to get to the point more with stuff because we got a lot to get through. But uh, uh, I think I love that idea. Okay. I want to talk about their magic Still, stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? So we have established earlier that they feed on mortal souls to perpetuate themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know exactly what you what you know what we mean when we say they can't utilize magic. I always took this to mean that like they can't ever make use of the nine flow. Like they're cut off from the nine flow itself. Yeah, but in this, and it's not merely that they're like cut off by like their location. It's like they're essentially cut off. Even if mm-hmm. they were in the heavens, they couldn't make use of it. It's like yeah. when you get stilled in that hit TV in, in... show. Dude, did you finish that first season? I did. What a rough piece of cinema. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Did I like it? I mean, it was fine. There fine. was parts of it that I actually genuinely enjoyed, but like, oof, the CG, man, it was, uh, there's, there's, uh, some choices. That ending was interesting, I guess. Was, uh, you could, you could feel they were like, we don't know if we're going to get a season two, so we need to make something happen. <laughs> man, what a weird fucking show. But yeah, I mean, I think stilling is a good analogy for this. So the thing is, though, uh, so it's been a long time since we, uh, you know, had these initial ideas, right? Uh, or, or that I had like these initial ideas of what it meant to be a mute. When I initially pictured it, I was imagining these like enormous throne doors that were like, you know, six stories tall and behind them resided a mute who you could not speak to. They had somebody who spoke for them and that quite literally, like verbally, they could not enunciate. It was, you know, maybe a kind of flattened picture of taking magic away. Um, And I think we could still have that element. Like, I do think it'd be kind of interesting to have them quite literally be mute. Although I do think that that can play on some problematic tropes and things like if you're to ever actually try and cast a scene where you have seven individuals and all of them are evil talking to each other, you know, exclusively with sign language. It's like, I don't know if I ever really want to paint that picture. I do like the idea that they don't speak. I think it's more like and that somebody speaks and for them. Gandalf, but they're just like, what's that? Are they talking in each other's minds? Yeah. He Carter just did like a ton of eyebrow raising and really weird bug eyed looks. Yeah. Yeah. So you think that, I mean, is it just telepathy? Is it as simple as that? Maybe. And maybe that they can't I use think there's language something... though. That might be interesting where they just share like mm. 
information or images or emotions in this like weird sense. Yeah, that that's more interesting to me. The idea that they can convey, but not through the use of language. I, I know that. So one thing that we know Tears does, because we have established this in the past, is that he. When you enter his throne room, you you walk away without ever having spoken to him because he simply inserts the information of what you must do in your mind. Like he has the ability, it's more than just telepathy. He can rifle through your thoughts and just place the new thing in um, that he needs you to do for him. Um, and so like oftentimes people will leave, even of among his closest circle, there might only be one or two individuals that are his right hands that have memory of being in the throne room. Which is not to say that people who enter the throne room aren't, you know, don't feel that true terror of seeing the back of tears. But it's that they might not remember that uh, as a direct memory, except some echo of horror after they have left. Right. So already with tears, we have this idea of this conveyance of information without using language. Yes, I think I like the idea that the mutes only talk to each other through surrogates. I think that that's a very interesting one, and I don't think it necessarily needs to play on weird tropes of being quite literally mute. Maybe it's that they, if they are to open their mouths to speak, it could, like, spell a kind of doom of a different sort or something, like it would destroy themselves or something. Like, almost like, um, what's that guy from dumb comics where whenever he talks his voice is super loud he's a like an inhuman you know who i'm talking about he's like got a pitchfork helmet i i, I feel like i've definitely heard not a pitchfork X-Man a tuning whatever, fork but... yeah it's like black bolt or something he's like the king of the inhumans oh yeah <clears throat> i think he was in uh the doctor strange thing where he's like yeah no he was doctor strange and the mom so yeah, and then he scream. Mm, well, okay, I guess spoilers for a pretty mediocre, okay monster movie that does not do justice to um, the Scarlet Witch. I guess or does justice in a way that feels very whatever. Um, yeah, he he screams in his own head and crushes his own brain, which is fucking hilarious. And also, like, it was pretty gross. It looked like a saggy diaper. Wait, have you seen Doctor Strange and the Mom? Uh, yeah, I have. Okay, yeah, yeah, I couldn't remember if we talked about that. Yeah, I mean, it could be something like that. Like there is a destructive power to their to their words. But maybe it's a way where it's like it's unraveling their themselves or something. So maybe there are ways that they can work around it. But. And I like the idea that they can speak sometimes or maybe they can speak in labyrinthine ways. Right. Maybe they can never put together a coherent sentence because if they put together a coherent sentence, it will like. I don't know, curse that thing or something. I don't know. I if mean, they can. it could be that they carry the curse, right? I don't know if they can. Yeah, maybe they can't speak at all. But yeah, I like the idea of like the mouth of Sauron stuff. Yeah, it's not that they have no voice and that's the curse. It's that their voice is now like become this destructive thing. And I mean, here's the thing. Maybe the, the, the whole idea that own curse them is a reinterpretation of events. Maybe they were cursed by the nameless one by proximity or something. But it has been turned into this story of own cursing them or something like that. I don't Could know. be. But one thing I want to highlight, Frank, is that in The Lord of the Rings, a novel written by J.R.R. Tolkien, if you don't know, um, 
he did he write a book called the lord of the rings he did yes oh i thought he wrote three books the fellowship of the uh, the ring the two towers and the return of the king i didn't know that he ever wrote a book called the lord of the Rings. he did and then his copy editor split it into three books because it would sell better because no one wants to read a thousand i see yeah wait he wrote wait he originally wrote it as a single book holy fucking shit are you serious i am serious i didn't know that he did he write it all at once then no, I don't think he wrote it all. Wrote it all at once. Like it, w- it went through several different. He like submitted the first chunk to like his editor and was like, "This is." Oh, do you mean yes? This is he like finished. A- yeah, he. F- I think he finished it all and then. Man, yeah. that's crazy. It was a single manuscript. I do know that he wrote that. the Hobbit, and then there was like fourteen years yeah. later until he, yeah, finished the Lord of the Rings. Okay. but yes, he did. Like he had the Lord of the Rings finished before it was published. As the, mm-hmm. the three volumes. Right. Yeah, but my point about mentioning The Lord of the Rings is that um, Sauron never speaks on camera, quote-unquote. The closest we get is we have the mouth of Sauron, but we also have Sauron talks to Pippin, but we, don't, we only hear Pippin retelling it. We don't, hear, we don't see the conversation. Interesting. So you're thinking it's kind of like a that sort of situation where they can. People can walk away having, quote unquote, had conversations. But if you like look at the the record of history, no conversation would have happened. No, no, no. My point is merely that that, like you can have a bad guy. Or bad person, I suppose, like a a BB, a BBG that does a big, bad, evil guy Yeah, that does not say anything. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And so that, that was all I wanted. I, I, uh, yeah, are you saying on a, like, kind of leave the world building out of it and let the camera just not ever depict that they speak? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's one way to go about it. Like, because obviously Sauron could speak. I'm not getting at Sauron was a mute. I'm just saying that, like, uh, if you can write a story where there is this bad guy behind everything and we never see him speak then presumably you can have a bad guy who doesn't speak. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm totally down with that. Uh, I would totally be okay with leaving it cloaked in, in questions for now, cloaked in shadows. Actually, like, let's leave that thread there for a moment. And I wanted to jump back to something you'd mentioned earlier, just because I I think it's worth acknowledging and just checking in to see whether we still are cool with it or whether there's more that we want to do there. So you mentioned that, like, one of your original thoughts of, like, how you envisioned the mutes or had understood them was that, like, being a mute was like, well, you're cut off from the nine flow, right? Which I agree. I think that there is something there for sure. I do know, like we also since then, though, have developed this concept of being enshrined, right? And the difference between gods that are enshrined and those that are not in terms of where are they getting their power from? The gods that are enshrined, just as a reminder to the listener, uh, they get their power directly from the nine flow, i.e. like the animus that like the power that flows through them is coming from that and they are rooted into the animus itself and thus they basically are like it's kind of like having a grounded wire connected to the you know the larger electrical grid 
They suckle directly on the teats. Right. And then they're, God, that's electric teats, though. You know, yeah. like an electric cow. Um, do androids dream of electric cows? Do androids drink electric milk? There you go. Electric, by the way, electric milk is just carbonated. Oh, yeah, I guess that's... <laughs> <laughs> gross that's disgusting yep. i don't want to think about carbonated milk that's <laughs> <laughs> smooth and spicy youch um okay but like anyways yeah enshrined gods we have we have gods that are i don't even know what you'd call that like you know there maybe they oh you know we have i think the first and second ascension is the first ascension enshrinement and the second ascension is enthronement? Because I don't think so, right? The enthroned just refers to the regents. Yeah. And maybe one or two other gods someday we might consider making exceptions for, but they are like, you know, yeah, like they are ingrained in the fundament of reality itself. First ascension is godhood. Second ascension is... Is enshrinement. Yeah. That's right. Yep. So first ascension being godhood you are reliant on the faith of your followers for your existence and your energy and your power and stuff. So that's more like, you know, this metaphor of the electricity, that's like, you know, running on batteries, right? You do need to replace them or you need to get new ones, make sure that they're running okay. Um, do you think that, are you imagining that them not having access to the nine flow is saying that they don't have access to the power grid? Or are you saying they can't run on electricity? Um... Because I think I'm interested of like, what do we do with the latter? I mean, maybe they can't that's run more kind of this. I, I'm thinking that that's kind of more interesting. This is a weird pull, but like there's the Rick and Morty like slime episode where like they separate out their toxins or whatever. And have you seen this one? I don't remember. Probably. There's a point where it's like these toxic versions of Rick and Morty and they like and, and Rick creates the like basically like an like the goop version of electricity and it's very interesting it's um yeah it's it's like really i don't know you know of course because like rick is basically a god you know he's he's basically an immortal deity but the idea of having these mutes where maybe this is where we get that anima conversion from right the idea of like burning anima to create magical effects and I know we've talked about this in the past, and I, I feel like at this point I have a pretty vague understanding of what is actually happening when that happens. But that could be an interesting, like, what then do the spirits of people have as roles to play if it's about anima, right? Like, is it, do they still care about spiritual energy if they can't actually access it that way? Or is it about like, oh, they can, it's just that there's a conversion process and they had to like construct a way of dismantling a soul or siphoning the energies of a soul or converting it into something that they could use to then convert it back again or something like that. So I think like what a soul is, is in a sufficiently different enough form from the nine flow that they can they can get energy from it it's like if you took electricity to uh charge like a battery but the battery wasn't like electrical per se but it was just like a certain kind of um i'm trying to think of how 
winded up rubber bands. Like you can, that is a kind yes. of bad because the battery, I think, just is like something that has a potential energy, right? Yes. It, basically, in you it's, convert it's the most raw definition into mechanical energy or whatever it is, potential energy in whatever form. When you get one of those like wood planes, right? And you have like the little plastic propeller and it just has like the little flat. I don't know if you ever put one of these together from a kit when you were a kid, but like they come with a propeller and they come with a long rubber band that goes to the back. And then you like manually wind up the propeller and like tighten up the rubber band as much. And then you let it go. The winding of that rubber band is a kind of battery. I don't know if that's like, I, I, I'm not going to pretend it's not that, a chemical battery. I, yeah. I don't know if physics would uh, like, or like the literal definition of a battery is like would agree with that but it is doing the same thing right it is turning like you were saying mechanical energy into potential energy and i think i agree with you that we're just saying it's there is a conversion now that's i mean i like that a lot do you think that this is where it's kind of like how plants take the energy of the sun and turn it into like sugars and all this different stuff so they utilize to perform certain kinds of functions in their cells and like a sapling becomes a fucking oak tree. And then if you take the oak tree, you chop it down and you burn it for wood, you know, you burn the wood of the oak tree in order to release heat and stuff like this. Like Mm -hmm. you're utilizing the energy of the sun, but like you're not using a solar panel, right? It's indirect. You're using the wood. Right. Right. I, I like that. I, I think that that's a good way of kind of articulating this. I also think maybe there isn't one single way that they figured out to sort of convert or extract energy at, in the ways that they need it. Like perhaps um, one of the ways is through like this sort of anima black magic where you're like literally consuming the anima, like burning it in a lantern or whatever of like a body part to release it in a form that you can use, but there might be other forms too, um, which gives us the opportunity to sort of paint the different realms of the absentium with different versions of horror, right? Or fear. Like I highly doubt that Parati is using these like necromantic lanterns. I think he probably would insist on using some sort of pure version of, you know, a release of energy, something that is more direct with, like maybe he literally like stole chunks of land from the Ethereum and is like actually just like vampirically siphoning power from the uh, from the animus or something in a way that even if it's not going directly to him, he's like using it like an oil, you know, like oil uh, uh, barracks, you know, that are like going down and extracting the nine flow from the animus. I think uh, Umak probably just like gets people into their realm of anesthes and then like they go to sleep in the weird you know flesh prison and then they but they like they're probably still alive if if, you know you can call it oh she just sucks off their their soul juice yeah, maybe that if they like they there's something about Umok's realm where like because they are at rest, the energies of their soul bleed away much slower, which means they kind of act for like a battery in a more direct way where it's like they die, but they die a very slow and unconscious death where they're like somewhere distantly aware of like the fact that they are 
you know, being uh, obliterated, but in this sort of sleep paralysis. Oh, fuck, man. That's so fucked up and creepy, but it's such a good, like, portrayal of Umok, right? As, like, sort of the matron of all sleep paralysis demons and stuff, you know? I mean, like, quite literally, the idea of, like, an old woman huddled in the corner is a thing that a lot of people see when they encounter sleep paralysis. Fuck, that's good. I think maybe we've mentioned that before in the past at some point, but I'm rediscovering it. But yeah, okay, so like we don't necessarily have to get into the mechanics of how exactly they're discovering these different ways of engaging with energy. Yeah. And I do think what I one of the things I like about this is that it does also create a a fear around alter uses of magic or alter ways of producing magical effects outside of the more direct, pure, you know, sort of natural path as seen which is why you end up with people like the knowing fearing the drow for the way that they engage with anima stuff because it's like did they learn it from the mutes right or did they teach it to the mutes or maybe it was a side a side along discovery that they made on their own but like regardless i wouldn't be surprised if there is propaganda or whatever that is that is suggested hey you know they you know, they, this is this is close to the hells in the way that they live. Even if their reasons for doing it are completely separate, even if, you know, maybe at one point in the history, you know, some drow, like the drow were created because of the, you know, the hells or something. Or maybe they just descended underground, and discovered this stuff of their own accord. You know, I think, I don't think that our lore actually says one way or another right now but i love the idea that there is this association i mean because you also get this with the vampires right sharding is doing something similar but even like the primordials and the way that they interact with energy they are ultimately interacting with the fundament but they're not using magic and as a result that can be seen as a weirdness you know yeah and i think um necromancy like people's views of necromancy might Mm -hmm. might find this similar because they're right fucking around with souls and that could be like mm-hmm. you know what are you doing converting like soul energy and like that's what the mutes do mm-hmm. and obviously also just like animating dead is people can see it disrespectful yeah and, and creepy and fucked up it's interesting i mean you know it's like this is actually one of those things that i liked about Amonkhet. I don't think this is spoilers, but like the idea that they quite literally had this sense of you have life and then you have the afterlife and your spirit departs from your body when you die. And then the body is meant to be used almost in this like the good of the many, right? Like this idea where the body then like they basically like for those who don't know, Amonkhet's one of the realms in Magic the Gathering and people would like fight for excellence and and uh you know would do all these different challenges that were related to the five different colors of magic and then when they died i think they maybe would even like the champions would be sacrificed or something which is more fucked up because it turns out that all of this is being done for sinister reasons but ultimately i think the idea of a culture that then uses their dead if you actually have access to necromantic powers uses their dead in this way where they become servants of others It kind of makes sense to me. Like, it's like, yeah, you have this body. You 
have access to spells that are, you know, preventing it from rotting and you embalm it. So like it's a way of sort of like taxidermying a little bit. It would make sense to me that like almost it's serving the good of all. That is a really fun idea. Okay, but let's bring it back to the uh, let's bring it back to the mutes here. So we've talked about how they're potentially getting around this being mutes. We didn't really come to any conclusion about what it even means to be a mute. I kind of like that, at least for now. I think we can dis- we might discover things um, as we go. I'm okay with just sort of saying the camera is turned away from that. But everything that we've talked about at this point is still so very overview and general. And I'd like to kind of investigate the relationships between different mutes. There's obviously some that we've already talked about, but are there any that like kind of stick out to you as just like, well, this one and this one is very interesting? Not particularly. I think we've explored uh, the relationships I was interested in previously. Did you add an O to Umak? Or was I that did add an O to Umak. Because it's more of an Umak. Okay, all right, sure. Do you remember Kushmud's whole thing? Like why they're a god of failure? Because one of the things we articulated was that they were really old. What was the reason for that? I know it was Parati and Gogra, at least so the story goes, like discovered Kushmud when they were cast out. Like Kushmud was already there, although they had been cursed. So, you know, obviously there's a little bit of conflicting tales there. What makes them the, the mute of failure, though? Uh, a part of it is their ongoing attempts to right, become divine again. And they're, you know, because of their curse, they're always doomed to fail. But what was their initial failure? We kind of, I think we kind of talked about how it's unclear exactly, like, what their role was in the, the, in the, um, Events of the Ash Curse, Ash Curse. the destruction of the Erebor Crystal. And a part of it might have been like, either they failed to be vigilant, or maybe they even like failed the, name, it, the Nameless One to perform their part, but it, like, it ended up happening anyway. And so mm-hmm. like, it's either like they failed everyone, or they maybe even failed like their own purpose in that moment. Either because... Mm-hmm. like they were repentant and there was like a story of like this, like bad intention that is stopped by a sudden realization, but still punished anyway, or this tale of like, so inept that Mm -hmm. still couldn't perform the bad function you tried to do, but this bad shit happened anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I definitely remember the ongoing failure and the idea that there was something about the interactions with the Nameless One when that originally happened. I think maybe we just didn't ever um, nail it down more specifically than that. I like the intri- the the ideas of, like, it, honestly, there's just, like, conflicting stories, conflicting myths of, like, oh, no, 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 like, Kushman's actually this really sad tale of this person who had this realization at the end that what they're doing was wrong, and so they prevented themselves from going through with it, but, you know, it all happened anyway, and they are punished. The because, damage had been done or something, yeah. yeah. Or this other one where it's like, oh, they're so just desperately inept. They just can't be trusted to do anything that they even failed. And like, if Kushmud would have actually done their job, then all of the cosmos would have been destroyed or something like that. Yeah. 
I think I, I kind of like the mythologizing of like, what does it mean to fail? Right. Not, not that it was they're lazy or inept, but like they set out to do a task and they just fucked it up and it permanently scarred all of reality is sort of almost like Atlas on their shoulders. You know, uh, like they're responsible in a way for all of this. Maybe, you know, they had an early chance to stop the nameless one before it ever started or something like that. And they failed. And maybe they were a hero, right? Maybe they're a cursed hero where own or somebody said, you must stop them. Only you can. And it wasn't a choice thing it was a lack of or not even a lack ability it's just like you know shit luck or something you know maybe they tried and they just couldn't do enough hit, hit points worth of damage you know you and that nat one. sometimes that happens yeah sometimes that happens and it's like well there's nothing i could do um i have all the power in the universe but when the dice say you fail you fail you know the 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 dm can only make so many allowances or whatever before eventually things collapse. I kind of like the idea that they are just sort of the embodiment of that um, as sort of a permanent reminder. Whatever the case, I will say something we haven't really returned to or talked about at all, which I think would be worth kind of examining, is we have mentioned in the last several episodes the fiends and demons and devils. We discovered with, I think, the Parati episode um, that it was perhaps that Parati or Parati or whatever, they were like forcing developing demons into certain structures or things or bound them by law where they hadn't been before, right? We had talked about like maybe there were some original devils, but that like much of the devils were actually created by force by Parati saying like, no, I will actually like kind of constrict you and constrict your mind into rules and regulations that are useful to me. And I know that like we have talked about this division, right? Between tears who kind of stand somewhere outside of this, but the on one side, we have sort of the lawful or structural Davilian forces with um, Parati, Gogra, and Kushmud. And then on the other side, we have uh, Lagazoth, Karnas, and Umak, who are more like demonic forces. And I just was wondering, like, at, revisiting that, do they, do you think that they, like, are like triunes where they interact with each other? Like, I feel like at least on the Davilian side, there is some kind of interactions but i don't know if it's like a council of three where they're getting together to make decisions i don't think it's that yeah i don't think it is either i wonder almost if there's this weird sense of a family unit with like two estranged groups of relations right because again they do have this sense of connection to each other where they're somehow inextricably linked they are the only ones who can help each other and at least at the beginning you know, maybe they were all one cohesive unit, albeit a very argumentative and disputing one. But then they sort of fractured into these other groups. And in this, you know, fighting on one side and fighting on the other side, where Gogra, Parati, and Kushmud came together, and Lagazoth, Umak, and Karnas came together to sort of like defend against the other ones, Tears just said, fuck it, I'll do it, I'll do my own way. 
Um, I'm not going to take a side because y'all are just at each other's throats and it's distracting. I almost wonder if, like, I, I kind of almost see Kushmud, Parati, and Gogra as like a, yeah, like a family unit with like a, uh, an el- like an elder figure who's not necessarily like a sibling, but more like, not parental either, but some sort of guidance, like uh, like a aunt or uncle or like a grand grandfatherly figure. And then these two siblings who are sort of like trying to, you know, work their way through things together. Although I think that does paint too vulnerable of a picture of who these people are. Yeah. And I think the division is more in how they think of one another than in any true sense. And like it, like the devils versus demons thing is kind of just, it spawned from ideological lines of like, Mm -hmm. all these creatures are creations of these beings, like essences or something like this. And so their like ideological views and stuff like this affects the creatures that exist as a part of them. I almost think that like maybe in scriptures that are writ about them, that there are sort of, for those who would dare to do it, the philosophers or natural philosophers who are examining these as forces, I could see them drawing distinctions and these kinds of relationships between them. Because there are people who elevate these figures. And there is going to be the, the cults, of course, who follow one person exclusively. And then there's maybe the more erudite figures who are like, well, you know, they are maybe a means to an end or something. But they're also like this, this group of powerful individuals. And to understand them and to sort of participate in their power, it's actually about understanding their trinity relationship or something. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there's almost like dissertations that are written about like, you know, Parati, who is the leader of the family, but relies on the wisdom of Kushmud and like, you know, uh, Gogra acts as the support. Or, you know, other kinds of like hypothe- uh, hypotheses, which obviously, like, I think what I like about that idea is that it's very feels very segregated or, or severed from like the reality of how they're actually interacting with each other. It yeah. like paints a far more relatable picture. But like there are people who will do that, right? Like God isn't always this um, figure who's in the sky who just governs all things, you know, depending on who you talk to, they might also be like a very close to your soul kind of individual. And like deities are painted in different lights with as many tints as, as there are like people on the world. I think then also it would be kind of curious to see how those same people would hypothesize about the relationship between Ligazoth Karnas and Umak. Cause I almost think it's more of like a, Oh, well, you know, the Jordan, the Jordan Peterson's out there would see, you know, Kushmud Gogra and Parati as being this sort of like, you know, divine family. And then, but like, Oh, but the other three, those are like, they're the representative of like life, death and consumption or something, you know, like they are. And of course, Lagazoth and Karnas, because they're demonic, are women because the female is chaos. <laughs> yeah, all of those uh, all that stuff to portraying Lagazoth and Karnas as, as male. It, uh, that's not actually right. Uh, as you, I mean, they're death, they're chaos that makes them women figures. It's true. Um, my attempt at a Jordan Peterson. Um, I gotta hope. I hope he's not he, dead. 
I think I think he recovered from his like weird meat illness. Oh, he did. I mean, he fully recovered and he seems like he needs a lot of help, um, but is also a very dangerous figure, like kind of, you know, in a Kanye presence, right? Yeah. Make making, you know, being taken advantage of and also very dangerous. Yeah, I hope I hope things end well for Gordon Balthazar Peterson. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Anyways. All of that to say, I do think it's it's interesting when you get these ideas like some sort of life, death, destruction or consumption, um, which obviously it's like, well, who maps onto what there like Umak is it's maybe it's not that it's maybe something else. But these sort of. Powers of three, right, like we have humans like to connect to the, the, the number three. I don't know why I don't I don't know what specifically about it, but like we use it all the time in sacred stuff um and i could see their hmm? trinitarianism oh, yeah, yeah. triangles uh like young middle old age um you know left right center there's like all sorts of stuff where like people think of things in that way but yeah no i just i think i think that there could be some very interesting interactions there among their courts especially because i think that interactions between lagazoth karnas and umak are going to be way more chaotic but I do think that they are more likely to work together than those on the other side. I just don't know what they're doing. And also, there is a time very, very early on when they are truly alone. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's never a time when they're truly alone, like they have no others with them. But maybe, like, maybe there are angels that don't fall immediately because it's just the seven, right? But then they draw others down or convince them, you know, sort of sneak up to the gates of heaven and talk to somebody through the gates and get, you know, get them to come with them or something. I kind of like the idea that at the beginning they were truly alone, powerful beings for sure. But knowing that they, the ways that they spoke could potentially spell destruction for things. There is a sort of vulnerability there. And there is something relatable about them. Are they likable? No, but I think that they can be empathetic in those very earliest of stages of like, I can understand why people are making choices that they do when they're seeking survival. Anyways, I think we should probably call it. All right. You got any uh, Lorbits? No, I think I'm good. I think my only lore bit is I, I would like to investigate more specifically some of these interactions, right? Like, if we were to take Kushbud and put him in a room with tears, what happens? If we were going to put Lagazoth and Gogra in a room together, what happens? You know, and just like, what are those interactions look like? Because I think that's where a lot of the richness comes from, is the fact that you can't really distill any of these individuals down to being like, oh, well, you know, they're all on this side and this side. Like, you can do that with, like, law and chaos, but, like, even then, it's very clear that the dynamics between them are far from equal. They are not on the same playing field. They're not even playing the same game as each other. I agree. Like, Gogra's playing some kind of dating sim while Parati plays Civ, and Kushmud is, I don't know, just playing a really broken beta of something. Um, like Dwarf Fortress, but <laughs> this doesn't work. Yeah. Like a pirate or, I don't know, the forest. beginner's guide or something. Yeah. Um, okay, so anyways, uh, here... Uh, oh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, or 
you're seeing, if you enjoyed or were pleasured by what you heard, don't hesitate to share this with others. Feel free to rate slash review us on the podcast platform of your choice. Don't forget to ding that notification bell. For references to previous episodes and other fun links, refer to the podcast description. You can find our Twitter and email there, perfect for asking questions on things you'd like us to cover in a future episode. Thanks, as always, to Josh, the Silk Man Silker. I'm doing all of the, the, the parentheses stuff. Uh, for Land of Heroes and to Sam, uh, Land of Heroes theme, and to Sam Wade for the album art. You can find Sam at by Sam Wade on Twitter and Instagram. We're capping off each episode this season with a reading from The Book of Truth, which is AI Religion Bot on Twitter. So, uh, Lord Regent Frank, what excerpt do you have for us today? Well, I'm going to have to pull out my phone because this is something I didn't know about for a while. Um, but the guy who uh, runs AI Religion Bot, um, apparently it was like becoming a tremendous amount of work for him to. Um, like produce all these things because they still have to be like curated, right? He like grabs chunks and combines them together to actually create the things. And uh, uh, when was this? This was like maybe back in late August or something. I think we went a couple episodes without mentioning it, but he just, it was just too much for him to handle for a while. So like we literally didn't have any like fresh stuff being tweeted out for like months um, and I think he is back, but it's like a, at a reduced capacity. Anyways, I say all of that because I think we maybe used the same ones like once or twice. So I'm going to go through and see if I can find a, a solid one. All right. All right. In the history of the world, as far as its myth is concerned, we have the hymns, we have the old stories, we have the grain images, but not the myths of the new. Whereas in the new stories, we have the parallels, we have the rituals, we have the names, we have the emblems, and the legends. And until next time, uh, don't forget, there are always more alliances with hellish figures to make. There's always more milk to carbonate. Oh, God. Oh, God. Carbonated milk. That can't be good. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Okay, but before I mention tree three, I did, how are you doing? It's been a little bit. Doing well. Just working on my dissertation, doing grading for my class. Mm-hmm. Have you done, is it been three weeks since we last talked? It could have been. Sounds like that that could be true. It's been a while. I uh I mean, you know, I was gone for a You're bit. You're out there. of the country. You're in yes. the greater land of the free. I am yeah, the actual land of the free. I am really glad that uh I did not get any flights canceled because I was on any lists. I'm glad you didn't go to Seoul. Do you know about this? Have I told you about this? The um when I went to, oh, when I was trying to leave Rome uh, for Istanbul and I had an enormous scruffy beard and like the man bun and I tried to take a stone this big in my backpack onto the plane and it went through, it went through the security where they looked at it with an x-ray and said, what the fuck is this?
what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you think that this is something you could bring with you? It was a like a stone from um the from like not the uh not sidewalk like from um like this the cobblestones of Rome like they basically have these square they're called piatrinis and they kind of are shaped like a tooth where they're narrower at the bottom and they pound them into you the ground. You fucking took a rock <laughs> from a road. <laughs> they were sitting in a pile. People try and get away with them all the time. I took a full one and um. Instead of putting it into the checked bag, I was like, oh, you know what? Actually, if I put it into the checked bag, my bag will be like overweight. So I will put it into my carry on. That's the smart decision. Yep. And yeah, it's like a stone like this big. So anyways, when I did that. Literally, I kid you not, uh, after like the 20th minute of like people being like, yeah, why did you think you could do this? And like six people coming over, they made me sign a little piece of paper. I I mean, not little, but like sign some sort of thing. And I thought that it was basically putting me on a watch list. It sounds like what they were saying they were doing. You're banned from Rome for trying to steal our heritage. You well, I was like, well, why are you letting me on the plane in the first place? But also I was like, I don't know what's going on here. I wasn't sure if it was like because they're talking almost exclusively in Italian and saying occasionally words about like you're bad. And like, why? Like, why did you try to do this? And I was like, I'm sorry. I I was being a dumb kid. Like I'd been on a plane maybe like a half dozen times at that point. So stupid. Such a stupid thing to do. Um, But like quite literally, there was a line of, I think, nine or ten. Nine nine or ten like flight people like security or whatever who were pointing and laughing at me, like (laughs) quite literally pointing and laughing at me and talking to each other. It's so funny, like looking back on it, like this is a moment I don't know, to get people to actually point and laugh at you is something that doesn't actually happen unless you're on, like, I don't know, TV? Absurd. It was absurd. Anyway, so I I was like... For that moment, the symbol of America. The symbol of the stupid American. Yeah. Well, and so, like, I think I was just being dumb, and I, I fully... Ever since then, I've not known what signing that piece of paper has meant. And whether they actually filed it, I think part of me thinks that maybe they just didn't bother to file it because they figured I was just a dummy. But like, I, I, you know, I, ever since Italian? then, I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm going to try and go. I think it might have been <laughs> if I'm going to try and go back to, you know, Rome, who knows what happens or whatever. Like, are they going to let me do it or are they, am I going to be able to fly into the EU or whatever? So anyways, I. uh I ended up, you know, and then that flight to Istanbul, I then got stopped on the other side for entirely different reasons. The fact that I had an enormous beard and a man bun and I looked like this guy called. It was it was like Jihadi Jihadi Joe or something. I don't remember. It was like this white guy who. You know, like converted and became an extremist and stuff, and I apparently looked a fair bit like like I saw a picture of him. I'm like, oh, I can see why they would be checking my passport and stuff because he was active at the time. Um, but also, like, wh- the moment that people, like, they saw that I was with, like, other people, like, as part of a class and stuff, like, they let me through. But anyways, yeah, so all of that to say, when I flew back to, up until literally the moment where we, like, took off from Marseille and landed in Rome, 
every point through that process, I was like, somebody might stop me. Somebody might say, hey, you can't move within the EU or we caught you or your flight's been canceled or I don't know how no fly lists work. But like I was like, I I don't know. Maybe they expire. Italians are going to point and laugh at my rock again. Yeah. What if what if I try and like bring a, you know, a bottle of water through and they point and laugh at me again. But uh, yeah, no, man, it was <laughs> none of that happened, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah, that would be. I played a lot of Breath of the Wild. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that I just, you know, my opinions of on Breath of the Wild, but like I fully come around. Anyway, sorry, that's a whole you were going to say something. I was just going to say that um, I'm sure it was uh, a bit traumatizing for you to get laughed at by battalions, but it makes for a good story. It makes for a great story. And like even at the time, I think. It was embarrassing, but not necessarily like it. it, I I thought of it at the time of like, well, this was an absurd thing to try. I'm being an idiot. You know, I think that stone maybe weighed because I was like, oh, well, they don't weigh your carry on. And I'm pretty sure. Gosh, what was it? It was it was probably like a 10 or 12 pound stone. Jesus Christ. That thing yeah, that they dude, put, that's a they bring it through might tool. weigh them. You could probably use that as like a battering ram to knock the door open. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, it's a, it's, it was really stupid, especially <laughs> it's just so stupid on every level. Well, here's the thing, though. My teacher did this. My teacher, Ozair, brought a stone through security, except he put it in his check bag. Because he's not an idiot. I see. Um, because he also wanted a Piatrini. Um, but he put it in his check bag instead of his carry-on. And so I was just like, well, if the teacher's doing it, it should be fine. You know, I'm just getting a little souvenir. No, dude, you're being an idiot. So. Should have put it up your bum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Holy shit, that's a... Uh... Because you said it like tapers at the end, so it's, it fits up there. I yeah, I mean it's 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 this big around, Ooh. but uh, you know, human body. I'm sure I'm sure somebody you know is probably yeah. I guess I guess so. You know, it's like pregnancy. You know, so it's amazing what what can fit out of the uh, birth canal. It's amazing what can fit in an anus. Yep. So. Did wow. you not get my my right? soul joke? My soul joke? Childbir- no, what was that about? Uh, apparently you haven't I seen the news. One, 153 people have died in Seoul as a result of a Halloween trampling in a parade. Oh, I mean, I knew, I, I heard about the trampling. I didn't realize that it was... God, that's a massacre. Yeah, that's like literally like massacre numbers. And another like 150 people are injured. It's it was like so fucking horrible. What happened? Did somebody just like scare a bunch of people and then people were like running away from gunshots or something? Well, they don't really have guns. No, there wasn't any gunshots as far as we know. From what I understand, it was just like a trampling. Like there's just so many people that like one group was was trying to push forward. Another group was trying to like move in the same move in the opposite direction and so the people in the middle got like into an alley or something and then they got like all 
ran over by someone or like it was just like the press of bodies got him. God, that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad I, I didn't uh, didn't end up in Seoul. Yeah. Great city. South, South Korea, lovely country. Oh, yeah, sure. But I mean, totally. <laughs> I'm not going to go there on Halloween. Nope. Well, maybe I would now. It seems like uh, this might change policy or something. I don't oh, yeah, know. Uh, maybe. This was like the first Halloween weekend where they haven't had uh, gathering restrictions. It's good. Oh, okay. And there's also and like a bunch of political rallies going on at the same time. So there's like less of a police presence. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like it was just like kind of a perfect storm. I mean, I'm sure they'll br- blame it on protesters. No doubt. Wouldn't be surprised. Dude, the trip was good, though. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Like you drink a lot of good wine. Yeah. And also uh, Italian beer. Italian Italian beer. beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Moretti, uh, Peroni. There's like it's because because drinking beer while eating pizza is totally a thing. Like you might drink wine with pasta, but there's a lot of like it's pizza al taglio. I don't know if you ever heard of that before. No. Um, it's pizza by the like like by cut. It's so like they'll literally stick like put a knife on a giant slab of pizza and you just say pew or mene, which means plus or minus. And uh, they just move the knife and then you just pay for pizza by the kilo. Um, it's it's pretty great. Uh, so you end up with just like you can just get an enormous amount of pizza and it's very like, yeah, street presence. It's it's great, though. Um, it's it's a it's very tasty. And then you drink beer. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of good wine, a lot of like fried things in, in Italy, delicious food in France. There was Did uh, you go to Tonarello's. No, no. What's Tonarello's? It's the the place where I had Catre Pepe in Rome. It was so good. I had to wait for like an hour though. It's very popular oh. restaurant. Is it like Michelin starred? No, no. It's just really tasty. Yep, and mo- we, we, and like a lot of the people there were just were, were Romans. Oh sure, yeah. We went to Bonchi. I don't know Bonchi. if you've heard of Bonchi. Yeah, Bonchi. Uh, it, it's Bonchi is like. This like world renowned pizza place. Um, they basically are what brought Pizza Altaglio back um, to Rome. Like it wasn't really a thing as much until they like blew up. And like, like recently, there was a Chef's Kitchen. Uh, they did a season uh, on pizza, and uh, two of the places actually I've now been. One is Young Joni, which is the one in Minneapolis, uh, and Kim. And then the other is uh, is Bunchi. Which is the, the you know this one in Rome? So it's it's really it was amazing pizza. I ate, so I ate a little bit. There was like porchetta. Pizza. I was in Rome, but I figured where you, you go to Rome for the pasta. If you want to go to if you want to get the pizza, you got to go to like Naples. Well, that's definitely true. I mean, like you you'd think that because like things are regional, right? Like it's not that you'll find. Oh, all pizza in Italy is is you know just as good or amazing or whatever. Like for instance, when we were in Florence, we were I was very lucky to have Florentine steak, which only got access to it because one of the people on the trip. This is like back when I was in college. Still, his dad was like wealthy and owned like this, like he came from a rich family that like owned a restaurant and stuff, 
And so when we were in Florence, he literally had like a contact where we ended up at this like Michelin star restaurant and we got a it was literally like steaks that were this big, dude. They were like this thick and they were uh, they were just incredible. Like I've never had anything like it. It was so amazing. God, I think that we had to split the steak between two two people because it was so much. Delicious, Uh, but like. You know, like you don't you don't get a Florentine steak elsewhere. And like in Rome, they do really good seafood. Yeah, but they also do do good pizza al taglio. Like that's the thing is, is that yeah, yeah. Rome, unlike a lot of other cities, is more of a metropolis than a lot of places in Italy. Yeah, you're going to get people from Naples in Rome. You're going to get people from. Yeah. All over Italy. Yeah, for sure. And so like. Yeah, but like we still we still had lots of really good pasta. Like I had some really good street gnocchi as well. Um, just like, you know, you just get like a bowl of pasta. Oh, it's good stuff. Anyways, yeah, the trip was really good. Um, I actually I also we when we were in Paris, uh, we went to Versailles, too, which uh, that was a good time. The gardens are the best part. Yes, absolutely. We spent the first part of the day uh, in the uh, palace itself and then the, the latter half in the gardens. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that you have a picture from the gardens of Versailles. Yep. Um, you may be interested to know that uh, I proposed to Rachel in the gardens of Versailles. Ooh, and she said. <laughs> no, that but that she'll think about it. OK. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she said yes um awesome. we're, we're yeah we're engaged that's amazing um, yeah man i it's great it's really cool we've been parent i gotta think about a speech now isn't that a thing oh don't worry i think you have like 12 or 14 or 15 months or something like that like realistically we're not even going to start planning the wedding until after the end of the semester this current okay. semester because rachel just like after like the month and a half of like physical maladies she was dealing with and stuff, like she's really just in catch-up mode for a lot of things. And this was supposed to be a chill semester for her, but like between a month and a half of sickness and then two weeks of vacation, like you know, she's she's there's a lot that she's working on right now. So yeah. Um even if she wasn't, I would say we'd probably wait until the end of the semester to even start to look at that, but uh but yeah, it's uh it's great. Um it's 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 really cool. So uh Yeah, congratulations, jeez. Yeah, came came back a fiance. Left I left a, a boyfriend slash partner and I came back a fiance. I don't even I, I don't even know what to say after that, honestly. <laughs> I guess we have to do an episode now, though. God, dude, what do we even do for an episode? I feel like it's been so long, you know? We could dip our toe in for just a god mill. But we've been doing mm-hmm. a lot of stuff with the gods, with, with all the mutes. 